everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate podcast from the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and really glad that you are joining us. And we're now in our third episode on the Holy Spirit. And so if you've missed out on the first couple of those, I'd encourage you to go back. Kind of lays a pretty good foundation and framework for what we'll be talking about today. It's going to be a little more theological today. We'll talk a little bit about some some issues that are a little more controversial. Maybe controversial isn't the right word. Maybe disputed is a better word. Well, there's just significant trains of thought out there in the Christian world. But these first two kind of lay, I think, a better foundation. The first one, we just kind of talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We use the phrase, he is God, to help us know that the Holy Spirit is a person, personality, someone that emotionally and relationally we can connect with. The Holy Spirit is also God with the full power, knowledge, wisdom, character of God. Not an impersonal force, not a less than, but fully God and a person that we can relate to. And then last week, we just looked at a small number of things that the Holy Spirit does for all of us immediately upon our salvation. The Holy Spirit seals us as a deposit for a promise of a future inheritance with him, a permanent, something that we can fully trust forever. And we also talked about that he baptizes us into the body of Christ. We are fully baptized in the spirit. We, we have the spirit fully and we are placed into the body of Christ. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, lives in us personally, makes us a temple of God. And we made the contrast there between being having the spirit of God present in us, the indwelling, and being full of the spirit, being filled with the spirit, which is more situational. And we'll talk about that more in episodes to come, which is less a matter of controversy, but is more just an issue of practicality and understanding the difference between what we know that the Holy Spirit does for everyone regardless, and certain things about the Holy Spirit that we can access based on our current connection with God. But back it up one to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it turns out that that is, in fact, fairly controversial, disputed amongst different groups of Christians about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, what does it mean, and how do we know if we've been baptized in the Spirit. And so I want to spend some time talking about it, but first I want to put it into a category. And if you've been around here long enough and you've listened to some of our episodes where we're just really studying systematic theology, one of the things I talk about, that there really are kind of four different categories for for theology. First, there are kind of the essential things, the essential things that make someone a Christian. Like if you believe them, you're a Christian. If you don't believe them, you're something, but you're not a Christian. Things about the gospel, about who Jesus is, about his death on the cross, things that, again, make someone a Christian versus a Muslim, a Christian versus an atheist, a Christian versus a Buddhist, right? The things that make a Christian Christian, right? And then, and then the next level being kind of the foundational truths upon which a Christian life is built. So if you think about it, think about it like a house, right? The essential things is like the soil in which the house is built. It's like, if you're going to build a house, this is where you're building it. It is in, it is in Christian earth, not, not Buddhist earth or Muslim earth. To be a Christian, this is what you're building here. So now you're building your faith house in the Christian worldview, what are the foundational things that someone needs to believe in order to really have a successful Christian life? And then on, then on top of that are kind of things that are important. I mean, Christians can debate, discuss, have different ideas about kind of what makes your house different than another person's house. I mean, it's just like 
but they're they're important things. They're not super. They're not you know superficial things or just kind of. I mean, they're they're really important. And then on top of that, are just things that are just kind of interesting to talk about. The things are interesting to talk about, like what do you think about the end times? Those kinds of things, just kind of things that are like people like to talk about, but aren't necessarily as as as, as critical to healthy Christian living as others. Now, this issue about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, some people would say, and I think the people who who view this differently than me, probably would put it more in that foundational level. I put it more in the important level. This is an important issue to discuss, but for me, it is an agree to disagree kind of issue with people who see it differently. And so even though I am fairly confident in what I believe the scripture teaches, and I feel really good about what I believe, and I don't, I mean, I'm not, it's, I don't want you to hear me say that it, that it's not foundational. I don't hear me say that I'm wishy-washy or uncertain about what I believe or what I'm or what I would teach. But I just I, I'm I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Someone says, "Well, that's that's not what I think. I think I think this." And be like, "Great, good. Can we be friends?" Because this debate happens between what we'll call evangelical Christians and charismatic Christians, and what an evangelical and and those and those things are the distinction between these two aren't as clear cut, but for, for our purposes, we'll try to make it so. An evangelical typically is someone who believes that the way that one becomes a Christian is by, you, you become a Christian, I guess the best way to say it. Are you a Christian? You become a Christian. In order to be a Christian, there has to be a transformative process. There, you, there is a decision that you have to make. There is a, a born again. A, you have to be born again. You have to be saved. God has to do something. You can't be born a Christian. Which is, this is the kind of thing that distinguishes Baptists, most of your non-denominational churches, from Lutherans, Catholics, Episcopalians, because by and large, you know, baptism, these kinds of things, you know, your, your, your placement into the larger Christian community can come through your baptism as a small child or as an infant, right? As opposed to you become a Christian by decision. So that's a distinction there. And the distinction between what we'll call kind of mainstream evangelicals and charismatics has to do with this idea of the Holy Spirit. So your charismatics will believe, by and large, that in addition to what will happen when the Holy, we talked about this last episode, that when you believe the Holy Spirit comes and does certain things, he'll come to live inside you, he'll come and seal you. In addition to that first thing that the Holy Spirit does there will inevitably be, for a mature believer, a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. And that is rightly referred to as the baptism of the Spirit. You'll receive the Spirit as a believer when you first believe, but there will be a second blessing, a second, a second coming of the Holy Spirit in your life that will come later. Sometimes they're simultaneously, but more than not, it is a second thing that happens later where the Holy Spirit will come on you more fully. You'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of that is that you will begin to speak in tongues, okay? And so your typical charismatic churches will have that kind of different view about the Holy Spirit, will exhibit different types of spiritual gifts, more emphasis on speaking in tongues, more emphasis in the doing of miracles, those sorts of things, as opposed to most of your evangelical churches are more interested in focusing on doctrine and beliefs and, and where there's just more of, a, of an experiential worship, a more demonstrative worship in your charismatic churches. 
most charismatic churches in the strictest sense are evangelical. They believe that you need to become a Christian. But, you know, if we're, if we're trying to parse it out, right? I mean, the, the difference being, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? It's kind of what distinguishes what we'll call mainstream or mainline evangelicals and your charismatic Christians. So your typical mainline evangelicals will believe that you know, what the Holy Spirit's going to do happens right when you believe. The baptism, the sealing, the indwelling, everything happens when you believe. And there are some ups and downs that will happen with your connection with the Holy Spirit, but we're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in a second way where he comes more fully. And your charismatics will believe, yeah, the Holy Spirit does come upon you when you believe, but you need to, be, you need to wait and ultimately seek out the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in that baptism of the Holy Spirit, there'll be a, an, an extra kind of wave of power, of belief, of faith, that will be demonst- that will be demonstrated through the working of kind of some supernatural acts, and definitely through the speaking of tongues. And there, there, there's a there's a phrase that gets used very often in these cir- circumstances, in these in these circles where they're talking about the Holy Spirit, and they'll say the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It is a 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 wordy phrase, but it is it is one that is very often repeated: the baptism of the Spirit the evidence of speaking in tongues. And typically what your evangelicals believe, which is what I believe, even if it's in a softer version than what some other people do, is that the baptism of the Spirit is universal for everyone. And the speaking of tongues or the not speaking in tongues is not, is not evidence one way or another. In fact, if the, the speaking in tongues is, is a spiritual gift but it is not an elevated gift, and it is certainly not a gift that is uniquely evidence of the fullness or an, a true experience with the Holy Spirit. So let's just kind of get into this a little bit, less in the kind of the theoretical, and just kind of more and more in the, the biblical text here. And so what I want to do is I want to make a case for, I want to make their case in as neutral a way as I can, as far as what charismatics believe. And, and even as I was going into this episode, I was trying to decide if, if this was going to be a part one of two, or if I was going to be able to get it all done in one episode. And as I'm sitting here, just kind of eyeballing how much time we've already taken just to get here, I'm just going to go ahead and commit to you that this is a part one of two. All right. And so I'm going to try to make the case that they make. I, I, want, I want to make it as objectively as I can, not, to, not because I believe it, but because I, I, want, I, want you, I want you to hear, I want you to hear what I think, what, what, what I, best I do, best I understand what, what they believe, not in a way to tear it down, but to just kind of honor it and kind of set it there. And then we'll spend more time later just kind of reacting to it, okay? So in John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, Jesus is, he's, he's getting ready to, he's getting ready to go, right? And he's talking to his disciples and they are, they are troubled. They are upset. They don't want him to leave. And he's, he's been praying for them, talking to them, uh, talking to them about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And in verse 21 of John chapter 20, it says this, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. I am sending you. So he's trying to get them to calm down, to be okay. Yeah, I want you to have peace. Father sent me. I'm sending you. It's going to be fine. Verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So what we imagine here is that, you know, the Holy Spirit has not come yet. You know, well, um, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit being in the life of someone was a unique thing. It wasn't, it wasn't universal for everyone who believed. It wasn't for everyone. The Holy Spirit came and went upon certain people, and it was really more of kind of under unusual circumstances. And then as we've looked at, as we looked at in the last episode, now the, the Holy Spirit unique, comes upon everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And that is a new thing. So up in this point, kind of in this transition period between the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came selectively and what we have post-death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone who believes, we kind of got this transition period. So the Holy Spirit has not come universally and fully yet in John chapter 20. And Jesus is talking to them. The Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to be good. I'm going to leave and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then in this moment, hey, you be cool, be calm. It's going to be fine. He says, he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so with that, it doesn't say that anything happened. It just says that Jesus said that. And it is believed then by people who have this more charismatic view that that is them kind of receiving the Holy Spirit the first time which is the way that Christians receive it when they believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus, and in this same way, Jesus kind of breathes on you, and you receive the Holy Spirit on some level, but you do not have the fullness of what the Holy Spirit can be or should be that comes next with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so there's going to be a couple of months difference in time between this story right here in John chapter 20 and the story of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And so what happens is, is that in John chapter 20, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And again, the charismatic idea there is that in that moment, they, they did receive the Holy Spirit. This is not, it's not, Jesus wasn't promising them something that would happen in the future. It was a present reality for them. And that at a different time, a couple of months later, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fully came upon them, and then they began to speak in tongues. And then they go out, and people start to hear them. They're hearing them in their own language. Peter preaches this incredible sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith. And then we'll see at a couple of other different times in the book of Acts, we'll see people, they will receive, they will believe in Jesus, and then at some point later, they will have a similar experience where they start to speak in tongues. We see this with some people who, the first time that the gospel goes to Gentiles, we see it. We see it with people who believed in John the Baptist, but hadn't fully understood who Jesus was. They'd had some moment of baptism and repentance, but had not fully received God. And then we see the, the, Holy, the, 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 the apostles in both of those instances lay hands upon them and supernatural things start to happen. And so your typical charismatic Pentecostal 
um, assembly of God belief is that this sets the pattern for what the Christian life looks like. And that the, the Christian life will be that someone will, at, at one stage, will receive Jesus, and that at a second stage, will receive a baptism of the Spirit, which will then allow them and empower them to speak in tongues. There are some instances where all of this happens simultaneously in the book of Acts, and there are some instances where they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there is no overt description of whether or not they were speaking in tongues or not, but it does say that they were, they, it, that the people that were there noticed that they had been baptized by the Spirit, which your typical charismatic will say, even though it doesn't explicitly say, if you can tell somebody got baptized by the Spirit, it must have been because they were speaking in tongues. And so what they want, what they want to teach, what they teach is, is that the best way for us to understand the way that what, what the Christian life, what the pattern of the Christian life is supposed to be is to look at the only examples that we have of people receiving Christ. And it seems like in a lot of these examples in the book of Acts, there's kind of this twofold receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then they would say that that then is the normative experience for all Christians since then. And so if you want to follow in the footsteps of the people who were the very first followers of Jesus Christ, then you need to follow this same sort of pattern. Your life will hold this pattern. So the pattern will be you'll receive Christ, the Spirit will do some work in you, but then ultimately the fullness of the Spirit comes through the baptism of the Spirit, which will come later and will then be, it will be received by and demonstrated by, you know, miraculous gifts. Again, most notably, speaking in tongues. And so you may have some, you know, you know we, we've, already, we've already addressed this a little bit. Like, how, how can we say that only some people have been, how can they say that only some people have been baptized by the Spirit when we've already looked at that one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it very explicitly says that everyone has been baptized, just as a body through, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were, we were all given the spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so the typical response to that is that, that there are in fact two baptisms of the Holy Spirit, right? One is just kind of in the, in the loosest sense, it's not really the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not being bad. It, 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 is, it is something that he does. he does. He does place people into the body, and that is true of everyone. Everyone has been placed into the body of Christ. And in the, in the sense that that is a baptism of the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit, that is what happens. But there is another baptism, a baptism in the Spirit, where you are fully immersed. This is you are fully identified uh, into the body of Christ, and you're baptized in that way, but then there's a way of being baptized in the Spirit. You're baptized by the Spirit into the body, but this is a baptism in the Spirit where you are fully identified by, and you fully have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so they will say that there's just two different understandings of the same word. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we continue on past the things to talk about baptism, you know, we got this Extended metaphor that Paul's given, you know, the, the body 
You know, we got this body metaphor. The foot can't say I'm not part of the body because I'm not an ear. And I can't say that you're not part of the body because you're not an eye. But we have all these different gifts and we all come together. And then verse 20, verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and dispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. It's like everybody's a part of the body, no matter what gifts you have, whether they're fancy gifts or the, the best gifts or whatever, everybody, no matter their gifting, their background, everybody is a part of the body and we are completely connected to one another. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so we have here that, um, you know, Paul essentially saying that um, not everybody is going to speak in tongues. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. Is everybody going to speak in tongues? So everybody's been baptized, but not everybody speaks in tongues. And then he says, desire the greater gifts. And then he talks about love. And so Paul is kind of putting out here that love is better. And it also seems to imply that, that tongues is not a universal gift and it is not one of the greater gifts. And so that, that, presents, that presents a question, right, for, for people with a more charismatic background, which will then, again, you know, we're talking from their perspective, we're talking about two different types of baptism. And now we also need to make sure they make a distinction from their perspective that there's two different types of tongues. The one type of tongues is the thing that we see, at least in the early parts of Acts, where they are speaking other languages for other people to hear. And then they will distinguish that very often with a different type of tongue, which is kind of a personal private prayer language, which is something that you do personally. It may or may not be a known language, but it is kind of an ecstatic utterance. And so we've got these different sorts of distinctions. We've got two different types of baptism and we've got two different types of tongues. Because if you continue on in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and yeah, okay, we're, 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 we're gonna have to read a lot of this. We'll start in verse one. Follow the way of love and eager desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God, right? So it's a, it's a private prayer language. So again, We've already kind of making, from, from their perspective, making a distinction between two different types of tongues, that one type of tongue is a language communicating to people, but this is something where you're speaking explicitly to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speak to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Okay, da 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 da. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, 
the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. All right. Verse 18, we'll skip down to this. I want to skip past this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, this, there, there is a, again, this is a full chapter here where just this is really the only topic that Paul is addressing. Apparently, this was controversial even 2,000 years ago to the point where Paul is needing to address it. And so we have this, this idea of like, what is supposed to be the normative experience? What is it supposed to be? We've got a group of people that are saying that the normative experience is supposed to be tongues, and it would seem that Paul is speaking against that. Charismatic would say he's not speaking against it. He's kind of more speaking to a complementary thing. We're not, there's something that you do in private, and there's something that you do in public, and the thing that you do in private is good, but is different than what you're supposed to do in public. And if you're going to do it in public, you better also have the edification piece that comes with it, where someone is able to then interpret what you're saying. And so this is an incredibly complicated passage that finds itself wide open to different interpretations. And I have already at this point, uh, playing a little behind the scenes baseball here, right? I've already reached the limit of kind of how long I want a particular podcast to be. And so obviously we are going to have to go part two here. And so what I want us to do is kind of, we kind of leave you hanging here for you people who, 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 who listen to this every week. We've kind of got these two ideas out there. We've got that there is one baptism of the Holy Spirit that fully identifies people and that tongues, it is a gift, but like Paul says, is not the most desirable gift. It is not the elevated gift. There are better gifts than that, but it is a gift, and, but it is not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it would seem that living a life of love is a greater evidence of the Holy Spirit rather than miraculous giving, miraculous gifts. And on the other hand, we've got a group of charismatics who say, well, hey, we actually need to distinguish because there's different sorts of baptisms in the Spirit, and tongues should be prevalent. As Paul is saying, these are things that you know he wishes everybody would do this. Why would he wish it if it weren't possible for everybody to do it? Why would he want that? And that the gifts do, you, you are edifying yourself, which is a very important thing. You're talking to God, and that's an important thing. He brags about the fact that he speaks a lot of tongues, and so tongues should be more normative. So we've got these two things on here, and I've already tipped my hand in the last episode and the very beginning of this one that I, I definitely am not, a, I'm not a charismatic. I don't, I don't hold to that theology. Some of my best friends ever, some of my best pastor friends ever have been people who have this background, and I love them, and, and I love the experiences that they have and the way that they worship. It is great for them. My biggest concern is when we start talking about that this is meant to be a universal thing. So we're going to get more into it. I'm, I, you can't, I, I knew this going in. There's no way you can handle this well in 25 minutes. But I feel like at least in this 25 minutes, we have introduced the conflict and given a, a decent explanation, at least a cursory beginning kind of explanation for what the charismatic position is and how it's distinct from what we talked about in the last episode. And so in the next episode, we'll get a kind of a little bit more into depth and we'll kind of have the debate back and forth by myself here about what 1 Corinthians 14 means, ultimately the conclusions that I feel like that I've come to that I think are important that, uh, for us to understand and how we should resolve this issue as far as should we be expecting 
some sort of second blessing from God and whether or not there should be some sort of is is some sort of miraculous something supposed to be the um the evidence for full connection with the Holy Spirit. So we'll we'll talk about that more. I mean, I'm I'm not a big cliffhanger guy, but yet here we are. Uh, thanks so much for joining us as always. And we'd love to connect with you. Find us all the information you need about us, about our live services, our streaming services at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. I would love to hear from you if you ever want to ask a question, if you want to have any more thoughts about this. Again, the more we talk about this, the more questions I'm sure are going to come up, especially for those of you who have maybe more of an Assembly of God or Pentecostal or charismatic background. And, and if you do, just know that you're loved and fully supported by me even if we tend to disagree about what feels to me like just one piece of theology that is important, but not not critical. We can always agree to disagree. And again, some of my best friends see this very differently than me. Whoever you are, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to connect with you. We'd love for you to be a part of the Grove. And again, thank you for joining us on the Cultivate Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, and thanks for joining us.